opening Colossians chapter 4. And we are drawing to a close next week in our Colossians series. Uh, But this morning I have the privilege of opening up a scripture that you've maybe never heard a sermon on. uh, But I think there's going to be a lot in this for us this morning. But Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 through 6 is where we're going to be. And as always, if you do not have a Bible, it will be up on the screen behind me. Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 through 6. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth and he says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, that's kind of cool, right? I fell on this Sunday. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Verse 6. And let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. The title of my sermon this morning, I am super proud of it. It's Cock-a-doodle-doo. Turn to your neighbor and say Cock-a-doodle-doo. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Who makes a cockadoodle-doo sound? What, what, what animal? Rooster. Yes, roosters make the cockadoodle-doo sound. And listen, you guys laugh when I do this stuff, but you always remember when I do dumb stuff like this, right? So, so I blame you, okay? I promise you, you will never, ever, ever in your life forget this sermon title. One of you is like, hey, remember two years, like two years later, you're like, hey, remember that time I preached a sermon called Cock-a-Doodle-Doo? And then you'll remember what my point was in the sermon because I'm going to make it over and over and over again this morning. And so I do these things to make it stick. But I have to be honest, I didn't come up with this all on my own. Uh, this week I was uh, wasting part of my life on Twitter looking up articles that I had no business looking up because they were random and about random things. And I, I came across this very intriguing article, and it was about roosters and whether or not they truly crow in the morning, okay? Fascinating, I know, right? But I clicked on it because what else do you do? I'm, I'm wasting my life on the internet, right? So I click on the article, I would, have, I would know about this, you know? I had more important things I could have been doing, but I clicked on the article, and I was hooked. So I had to figure out what was the answer. And so it turns out that there was a Japanese scientist not too long ago who, um, I I guess maybe when you're a scientist, this is what you get to do for a living. You get to do these kind of experiments, and somehow someone pays you to do this, and you can make money and provide for your family. But he was wanting to know if roosters truly crowed in the morning. Because I don't know all that much about roosters, though my wife has grandparents, and they have roosters at their farm, and so I've seen roosters. But one thing that even I know as a city boy is that roosters, they don't just crow in the morning, okay? So maybe you didn't know that. You're welcome. Uh, roosters crow all throughout the day. But for whatever reason, people associate roosters with crowing in the morning. And so the scientist did an experiment because he thought that probably the way it was was most likely, for whatever reason, it was a myth that connected roosters to crowing when the sun comes up, right? Because they crow all the time. And so why do we think it's just like a, why do we associate it with waking up in the morning? And so he did a legitimate scientific experiment. Once again, I don't know who pays for this kind of stuff, right? Who invests in this? Who thinks this is, you know, we're trying to cure cancer and he's trying to figure out if roosters crow in the morning, right? But anyway, he's doing it. And he puts uh, several roosters, so, you know, he's got to not just put one, but several roosters in a room that was controlled for sound and for light. And so there's no windows in the room, and there's no sound in the room. They did feed them, so they weren't harming the animals. The animals were good, okay? 
And so he puts them in this room, and what he found was, yes, roosters do crow at all different kinds at times of day, and yet roosters legitimately do crow in the morning. Because when the sun comes up, they found the experiment that a rooster is twice as likely to crow. He's, they're literally in a room where you can't see any light, you can't hear any sound, and sometimes, somehow it's built into their rhythm, into their circadian rhythm every 24 hours that they know that whenever the sun is coming up, even when they cannot see it, they crow. I thought that was pretty fascinating, right? And yet I, I say that this morning because whereas roosters know when it's time to wake up in life, you don't. And let me explain why you don't. This is why addictions exist. Because you were going down that path for a long time, but you didn't see it. This is why we often end up in bad seasons in life. It's not just like one day all of a sudden your life goes downhill. Usually it's like a a string of decisions, a string of movements, and all of a sudden you wake up, and I, I know you've been here, and you're like, man, where am I at? You're like asleep in life, and you don't know how you got into this horrible place. This is why, church, we get into spiritual slumbers. No one wakes up one morning after having a vibrant walk with the Lord and says, you know what, I want to become spiritually depressed, right? Nobody says that. But we get into these tough places in life where we're asleep. You've often heard the saying that Rome wasn't built in a day. And I would argue that that's true even for the season that you're in. The place that you're in this morning, the, the battle that you're fighting, the place that you're struggling, it didn't happen overnight. But what happens in life is we fall asleep, and yet the problem is we don't even know that we're asleep. I remember when I was uh, graduating college, I was doing an internship to become a pastor. And I went to this internship, and the whole point of the internship, like any other job, was they were going to kind of watch you and train you, and they were going to let you know if you had what it took to be a pastor, if God was really calling me to do that. And so I went into this internship, and and to be honest, I was probably a little bit too confident. Maybe some would say arrogant, but I just felt like God had called me to do it. I I knew where I was going in life. I I came from a great church like White Oak. I was trained to do ministry. Like I thought that I was going to walk in there and just be like an amazing pastor in this church, and they were going to affirm me, and I was going to be on with my way. And yet two months in, we went into one of these kind of meetings where they bring you in every couple months, and they tell you how you're doing. And I thought I was going to walk in and they were going to tell me all the things I was doing well and how they were so pleased with me because, honestly, I was probably too confident. And they sat me down they told me one thing I was doing good at and five things that I really needed to improve at if I was going to be able to complete the residency and if they were going to bless me and put their hands on me and send me out. And I'll tell you what, church, I left that meeting literally awakened. Have you ever had a moment like that in your life where You thought something was going one way, and then maybe a friend tells you something, or a spouse offers some perspective on how you're doing, or a church community group kind of gives some insight into your life, and and maybe you're not doing as well as you thought. Maybe you're not as awakened to the spiritual realities around you as you think. And I think this is really important if you've been in church for a long time. Because unfortunately in the church, we've equated, I've been a Christian for 30 years as in like, I'm really mature in the faith. Or I've been serving in this church for seven or eight years in a consistent capacity. I'm a, I'm a tithing member, man. I, I must be really strong spiritually. And yet so often we find ourselves in slumbers and we don't know until something radical happens in our lives. And I believe what God's going to do for many of you this morning is he's going to wake you up from your slumber, and he's going to call you to new, great, and wonderful things. Turn to your neighbor and say, cock-a-doodle-doo. 
It's time to wake up. Turn with me to the scriptures, Colossians chapter 4. We're going to go through this verse by verse, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. As we come to this letter, I have to provide some context to really understand the importance of these words that we're about to read. Because this is not just a, a random closing that Paul writes to a letter. You need to know that as Paul is writing this, um, Paul is in prison. And for all that Paul knows, he may never write or speak another word to this church that he loves ever again. And so as he's writing this letter, I think often we kind of come to the end of letters. We get past some of the, the famous passages and we kind of turn our minds off. And yet you have to know this is Paul's heart for these people. Because imagine if, if you love somebody very dearly and you weren't sure if you were ever going to speak to them again. Are you not more attentive to the last words that you say? Imagine you're writing a letter to a friend and, and, and maybe you're not sure you'll ever talk to him again. Will not the last words that you write be the most important and the most heartfelt? And that's what's going on for Paul in this moment, church. Let's be attentive to these words. And let's hear what the Lord has for us today. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. We're just going to hang on this one verse for a while. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And I'm going to be honest for a moment. Uh, when I began preparing this sermon this week, um, usually when I come to a sermon, I've, I've read the passage before or I generally know at least somewhat what it means. Um, when you go to seminary and when you train to be a pastor, usually things in the Bible don't catch you off guard. And yet, as I read this this week, to be honest, I, I literally didn't know what Paul was saying in this. Like I heard the words he was saying, but specifically I didn't know what he meant by being watchful in it. Okay, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Okay, so keep praying. I, I get that part. But being watchful in it and also with thanksgiving. And so I started studying the Bible and I was like, prayerfulness and watchfulness, like what does that mean? And how do these things connect? And how do these things go together? And so I began searching in the scriptures and I found a place in Mark 14. Turn there with me if you can. Mark chapter 14. I want to read you a story this morning. And in Mark 14, I was very pleased to find that this is the only other place in Scripture where these two concepts are connected. So Mark 14, verses 32 through 42, this is right before Jesus is crucified, okay? So this is Jesus with his followers, and he's bringing them to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Jesus has been telling his followers over and over again, I'm going to be crucified for the sins of the world, and they, and they keep not getting it. And so in this moment, we come into a very painful moment in the life of Jesus. Verse 32, it says this, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, that was like his inner circle, his closest followers, supposedly. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled, and so though Christ was willing to die on the cross, he was without sin, and yet having to to die a sinner's death, and so it's painful. What Jesus is really going through, what he suffered for me and you, was truly painful for him, and he was in anguish. And so he says in verse 34, and he said to them, his inner circle, he said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. There's that word, watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. 
And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Here's that concept again, verse 38. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, I went away and prayed and sang the same words. And he again came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. So it's interesting. I went from one verse that I never fully quite understood, and I came back to another passage in the Gospel of Mark that I also didn't fully quite understand. And as I began to read and to study and to wonder, like, why is Jesus wanting the disciples, and specifically, why is he singling out Peter to, like, sit there and be watchful? Why is he wanting him to pray in this moment? What is Jesus trying to teach Peter that we could also learn this morning? And what I found was this, and it's very, very profound, is that Peter in this moment was not seeing the spiritual reality around him. See, the thing about Peter was Peter was extremely confident in his walk with the Lord. He always thought he was doing it right, and Jesus was always showing him, Peter, you're passionate, you're doing things, you're confident in yourself, but you don't really see what's going on. And the first thing we need to see this morning, and I want you to get, is that sometimes we're not aware that we're not awake. You need to know that. If you're taking notes, write that down. Sometimes we're not aware that we're not awake. Here's the problem. We often believe we are fighting battles in life and losing those battles. We think we can't get a victory, that the enemy is defeating us. And sometimes Jesus comes along and teaches us a lesson and says, Hey, look, you're not losing the battle. You've simply fallen asleep in the midst of the battle. I mean, look at Peter here. What Jesus is trying to get Peter to understand is this. He's saying, literally, Peter, you don't realize what's going on. If you were truly in prayer if you were truly watchful, if you were truly aware, then you would know that the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, was about to be crucified on the cross. You would understand why I'm in anguish, because Peter doesn't get it. Remember, Jesus told Peter earlier that he was going to die on the cross for the sins of the world, and Peter was like, you'll never die, Lord. I'll, I'll never let that happen to you. And what does Jesus tell Peter? Get behind me, Satan, is what he says. He's serious. And so there's this massive moment going on. Peter is in the midst of one of the most historically important moments in all of human history. And he can't even stay awake. He doesn't really know what's going on. Peter is also the same guy who said that he would never deny Jesus. And Jesus was like, no, no, you will deny me three times. When I'm crucified and the crowds turn against me, you will be ashamed of me, Peter. But Peter didn't think that would be him. But he wasn't awake Peter was also the guy, I know we pick on Peter a lot, man, but he goes on to be the leader of the church, so it's okay. Peter is also the guy, when they come to arrest Jesus, he literally, like, cuts off the guard's ear that comes after Jesus, and, like, turns around to Jesus, smiling, like, yeah, look at me, I just cut his ear off, and Jesus is like, Peter, come on, Peter, that's not what I want you to do. You've been with for three years, and you think that, like, we're going to be killing people for the kingdom. And Peter's like, look at me, I got his ear, you know, it's like, it's the guard's ear, and Jesus is like, oh, Peter. I swear, Jesus picks on Peter all throughout the Gospels. He's always going at Peter like, Peter, you're an idiot. But then also go back to our text in Colossians 4. 
verse 2, when Paul says to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Paul could have literally just told the church to pray, but probably that just would have gone over their heads. He uses three of what I call our verifying qualifiers. He says not just to pray, but to continue. So he's like really pushing the point. Steadfastly, really pushing the point in prayer. And not just in prayer, but being watchful in it. As if to say that potentially you and I could be praying, but not really having our eyes open to what God is doing around us. You see, the question that, that you're probably wondering this morning is like, okay, John, like sometimes I'm not aware that I'm asleep in life. I feel like I'm losing a battle, but the problem is really I've just fallen asleep. How do I know? And this is, this is the answer to that question. I think Paul gives us in, in Colossians 4 verse 2. Are you in steadfast prayer about it? I was convicted about a week ago of something, and I actually shared this with my community group. And what I found in my life was like this disconnect between things that were like I was thinking about a lot and maybe worrying about and actually praying about. And it it blew my mind how there are things that I think about a lot and that I really want to change. And I, and I, I think, like I think in my mind that I want this to happen so badly. I think that. But I never pray about it. And that's weird, isn't it? Because I believe in God, and I believe God answers my prayers, and I believe God hears my prayers, and I believe God loves me and is for me. And yet if I believe that, then how come if I want something desperately or I feel like I want God to do something, how come I'm not in steadfast prayer about it? And by steadfast prayer, I know what it's like. I don't mean you prayed twice really sincerely and God didn't do anything, so you just moved on. I'm talking about every single day on your knees before the Father. That thing you really want, how bad do you want it? Because we say we want things in life, and we, we say that we're awake, and we, we say that we see what God is doing, but church, do you really see it? You, you say you're awake, but, but maybe you're like Peter, you're with Jesus, you're hanging around with Jesus, and then he says, hey, yeah, sit here and watch and pray. And, and, and we're falling asleep all over the place. And then what happens in life is we begin to believe that we're losing a battle and things are not going well. And God is not giving us the victory in our anxiety, in our problem, in the things that we're facing. And God comes along, wakes you up from a bad dream, like you've been in a nightmare. And Jesus wakes you up and says, man, you've been asleep the entire time. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And my question to us this morning is, if, if we don't pray, do we really want it? If you're in a struggle in your life and you're not praying about it every single day, begging God to intervene and believing in full confidence that he will come through for you, that he will provide the thing that you need, then you're not really losing the battle. And that's good news. You're just asleep and you need to wake up. Turn to your neighbor and say, cock-a-doodle-doo. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to wake up. Turn to your neighbor, if you know them close enough, and, and shake them a little bit. Make sure they're awake this morning. Don't hit them, just shake them. Church, here's the reality. Here's a profound point this morning. The only battle you can win is the battle you fight. The only battle that you can ever win is the battle that you fight. And you might think you're fighting, but if you're not using God's tools, then you're not really fighting in a way that he told you would bring victory. God says to pray. God says to be in his word and to be watchful in it. God says to be in community. 
God says, man, go ask people to pray for you. It's like you're struggling and you're all on an island. Man, you want that thing to work out. Tell me the five people who are intervening on your behalf to God the Father for you. And so often we're like, man, I'm not praying about it. No one else is praying about it for me. I'm not, like, I'm not like scrounging through the scriptures, finding every single verse and memorizing it about my situation or what I'm going through. You're asleep. You're not losing. People will often come in and they're struggling with things in life. And as a pastor, I love being available to people. And people come in like, yeah, I'm struggling with anxiety. And, and, and I always just start with basic questions because we want something real deep and profound. And I'm like, okay, so you're struggling with anxiety. I struggle with anxiety. Are, are, are you praying about it? Are you praying about these things? Who's praying for you? Are you healthy? Are you, are you taking care of your body physically? Are you getting enough sleep at night? See, the problem is we're fighting these battles, and yet we're in awful battle shape. People come in, and the, the marriage is struggling. And I always ask the same thing. I say, well, when's the last time you went on a date night? Oh, we don't really do date night. Okay. Um, when's the, are, you, are you being intimate together? No, we don't do that either. Okay. Um, are you encouraging each other? Building? No. Okay. Um, are, you, are you splitting the home task? No. Okay. So do you want to be married? Like, do you want? Okay. So, so, so you're telling me you don't have a relationship because you don't have a relationship. You see, when you were dating, you did all those things. You see, you're not losing the battle. You're asleep. Someone comes in like, I'm stuck in my career. Business is not working. Okay? My question to you is, how are you growing? How are you getting better at what you're doing? Tell me the two books right now that you're reading, they're going to help you get where you want to go. Tell me the person who's mentoring you. Tell me the person that you went and found who's done what you wanted to do or been promoted like you want to get promoted and, and how many times you've met with them and sought their advice on things and they told you what to do and now you know how to do it. Like, oh, I, I just thought I would just worry about it. Eventually it would get better, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, cock a doodle do. So you're having money issues, church. Everybody's got money issues, right? You're having money issues, okay? Show me your budget. Show me how much money you're making. Show me how much you're spending. Show me how much of your money you're giving to the things that God cares about. You're not losing. You're just asleep. You don't see the spiritual realities around you that God wants to do in your life. Church, here's the reality. You can't lose if you don't give up. The problem is we think we're losing. You gave up. You see, a marriage only doesn't work out when at least one person just gives up, right? That, that thing falls apart whenever you give up. War only ends when at least one party does what? They surrender. The atheist didn't come to the conclusion that there was no God. He just stopped looking. He thought he looked enough and not found what he was looking for, so he just gave up. There's a difference, church, between losing and quitting, and we often think that we're losing and therefore we become hopeless in life. But then God wakes you up from your bad dream and says, you haven't been fighting the way that I've told you to fight. So Jesus was inviting Peter to see the higher realities that he wasn't seeing. The ones that were really important. And Paul was inviting the church in Corinth to be watchful, not just to pray, but to be watchful in it about all the things that God was going to do. Paul was saying that God will give you new eyes to see new things. And that brings me to my next point. Following Jesus gives you new eyes to see new things. 
more detailed stated, following Jesus gives you new spiritual eyes to see new wonderful things. In Psalm 19.8, it says this, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. In Isaiah 52.8, this is so cool. He says, The voice of your watchmen. There's that phrase, watchfulness. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. And that was written by a prophet who in his day was telling them that the Savior was going to come and nobody else saw it and everyone else was living in all their brokenness and he said, God is coming. I see it. He was a transformed person and God had given him new eyes to see new things. In Mark 8, verse 17, Jesus is with some of his followers, and they're in this place, and they don't have enough bread to hand out to everyone. They don't have enough food. And yet the reason why it's crazy, because they're worrying, and literally they just watched Jesus feed 4,000 people with enough food for probably 20 people. And in Mark 8, 17, he looks to his followers and says, And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And what he was saying is, don't you see that I'm here with you? Why are you afraid that that it won't work out? Why are you afraid that it won't come true? Have you not seen me do miracles in your life before? Have you never read the Bible? It's a really good book. You should check it out, right? God does some really cool things for undeserving people like me and you. You see, Jesus was always saying over and over again in the Gospels, he was always saying, You have eyes, but you don't see it. You're not watchful. You're not awake, and that's why you don't see it. You see, church, we have physical eyes that see the physical world around us, but when we get saved, when the Holy Spirit comes to us and dwells within us and makes his home within us, we begin to see new spiritual realities that the world knows nothing of. The atheist only has physical eyes. The person who ignores God in their life only has human eyes. They see cancer, but no healing. They see divorce, but no reconciliation. They can see existence, but they can't see purpose. They see a rebellious child and no prodigal son coming home. They see a tough job and no way out. They see depression and no hope for the future. They see death and nothing after. They have physical eyes, and yet everything that we long for deep in our soul, we need spiritual eyes to see spiritual things. And when you follow Jesus, yeah, everything is still broken around you, but you see the redemption in all things. We're given a new set of eyes to see a new set of things. This is what watchfulness means in the faith. You see, now we see hope. We see a bad situation, but we know God can move. Now we see heavenly realities. We don't just see death, we see heaven. Now we see meaning and purpose where we couldn't before. Now we see the benefit of giving away things and generosity. Now we see the value of serving others. Now we see the purpose in our pain. Now we see the people that our kids are going to become in Christ. And now we see the redemption in our marriage. You see, Jesus says you have eyes, but you don't see it. He says you you have eyes and, and, and you act like you're with me, Peter. And yet every time I I, I put you here for one minute and say pray, you just fall asleep. And Jesus says, wake up. Turn to your neighbor and say, cock-a-doodle-doo. Now let's go back to Colossians 4. I want to make one more point. 
Colossians 4, the last uh, four verses, starting in verse 3. Paul writes to the church some of his closing comments. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And so Paul is wanting them to share the gospel. And yet I love this. He doesn't just say, I got to go out and do it. He's like praying that God would literally open a door. Church, do you believe God opens doors? Do, Do you believe that God intervenes on our behalf, that he cares for us and that he loves us? This is why we pray. Verse 4, he says, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. I love that. He doesn't just say I'm going to speak. He says that I should speak how I ought to speak. And so Paul has this like massive attention to detail in the things that he's saying. And then in verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. And so he doesn't just say walk well towards outsiders. He says literally watch how you spend your time. He's giving attention to detail about this. Verse 6, he says the same thing. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, what I think Paul gives us here is another insight into what it truly means to be awake. The first thing we said was you're going to be in prayer. I mean, steadfast prayer. If you really want it, you're going to be watchful in prayer. But the second thing is this. Awakeness is awareness to details. Awakeness is awareness to details. And yes, awakeness is not a word, and I know that, right? Every time I typed it in the document, it kept underlying. It said, no, I want to use that word, right? They know what I mean by that. And if it's not a word, I'm going to make it a word, okay? And it fits better with awareness, right? So awakeness is awareness to details. I asked God. He said it was cool. He was fine with it, right? Microsoft Word didn't like it, but I don't, I don't worship Microsoft Word. So. But church, this is so important. And if this is one of the areas in my own life where I I know that I'm falling asleep at the wheel, is you start to not care about the details as much. When you're passionate about something, like you pay attention to the details. Everything matters. Everything is important. And when you're on your way to a slumber in life, you kind of just become like an apathetic generalist, right? And you stop worrying about the details, and you start cutting corners, right? And yet Paul is so passionate about this. He says, don't just just share the gospel. Pray God opens doors. He, He doesn't just say, love outsiders. He says, literally, make the absolute very best use of your time. Don't just speak to people, but think about how you ought to speak to them, right? Like, speak well, seasoned with salt and with graciousness. He cares about the details. Details are important. Can I get an amen from the ladies right now? De- turn, turn, to your, turn to someone and say, details are important if you're a lady. Details are important. Because here's the thing, listen. Guys don't get this, okay? Guys don't know this. Guys like, I said I love you. I, I, I verbally told you I love you, okay? You know what that phrase means, and I said it to you, Right? So therefore, that displays my love for you. And the woman's like, show me the details, right? Ladies say, show me the details. Show me the details. Show me the deets, right? Cock- say say cock a doodle to your neighbor. cock a doodle do. Wake up. This is why women love flowers, because it's the details. It's not the little things, it's the details. This is why she wants to be surprised, right? It's a detail. And when we get lazy in life, that's when you're going this way. And when you get lazy in your faith, 
That's how you wake up one day and you're like, man, I haven't prayed in two months and I feel far from God and I feel worried about everything. And you didn't wake up overnight and that just happened. You stopped caring about the details. You see, if we really believe that God created all things, is in all things, then everything matters, doesn't it? The way that we speak matters. The way that we treat people matters, even when nobody is looking. The way that we treat our spouse, the the way that we carry out our marital duties, even when our spouse will never know, it matters. Because eventually all the little things build up to a big thing. See, prayer is proof that we know what's happening in our lives, that we know the spiritual realities that we're up against. And if we're not praying, then we've fallen asleep and we're not aware. And that's why we're losing the battle. And it's the same way with the details in life. If you want to win that battle, you will literally take every advantage that you have. You will, you will monitor your time. You will walk in holiness. You will be in steadfast prayer. But sometimes we have to come before the Lord and just admit, you know what, God, I just haven't cared enough about it to even try and fight this thing. I think sin is a really good way in our lives where we see this as well. Can I, can I be like just super honest for a moment? I thought about this this week and it, it, it hit really deep. And so I, I just want to say like I'm, I'm in this with you before I say this. Like can we just like stop doing something as a church? Like and I mean it just as like Christianity in general. Can, can we stop like saying that we want to be in the light when all we ever do is walk in the darkness? See, the Bible says, if you want to walk in the light, then you will confess your sins. And yet so often, we always say we want to grow, we always say we want to be in holiness, and yet we're not confessing our sin to anybody. And so maybe the problem isn't that you're just struggling, maybe you like that sin. Maybe you like it, and that's the problem. Maybe you desire it, and that's the problem. But here's the good news, church. If we bring that to the Lord and say, God, I love this thing. I love this sin and I'm addicted to it and I desire it and I can't stop doing it. And so I'm going to quit faking it before you and acting like when I go to church that everything is great and I'm doing wonderful and that I haven't had this addiction for 10 years. I'm going to admit it, God, because the Lord said the truth will set you free. And so often the problem is, is we keep saying, yeah, I want to walk in the light. Yeah, I love holiness. You see, the moment that you confess, church, is the moment that you say to God and everybody else, I really want to be in the light. When you pray, that's the moment where you're saying, I truly want victory over these things. Jesus said you will know a tree by its what? Fruit. He doesn't say you'll know a tree by how a tree feels about itself, right? You'll know it by its fruit and the things that we do. And so as we draw to a close today, we've talked a lot about waking up and fighting battles in the Lord and giving our focus to the details which show we truly care about. And yet I want to close with one last thought. I want to tell you why. Why does God wake us up? Maybe, maybe this has been hitting you this morning like it hit me this week. You're like, man, I've just been asleep. I, I thought I was fighting. I thought I was losing. And yet I've just been kind of apathetic. And I've really just been asleep the whole time when Jesus told me to be awake and be watchful. And here is the amazing news this morning. That the reason God wakes you up is God wakes you up to give you victory. God wakes you up to give you victory.
For many of you this morning, Jesus is awakening you from a really bad dream. Maybe you've been living in sin as if it's not that big of a deal. You've been maybe asleep and not really aware that you're a child of God called to good and holy and higher things. That you're called to be set apart from the world and not like everybody else. And maybe you just got comfortable with that sin. Maybe, maybe you need to wake up and start believing again that God can give you that miracle. Maybe your faith died along the way and you fell asleep and you got to step up and start believing again. Maybe you've been believing you can't do great things for the Lord because you don't know enough or whatever silly excuse Satan wants to put in your mind. Maybe you've been believing that you can't come back from that setback that you never saw coming. You see, God urges you to accept a reality, to admit I'm asleep. God, I'm asleep. Wake me up. Turn your neighbor and say, cock-a-doodle-doo. Wake me up. See, God can work with that. You probably thought you were losing the battle, but you were just asleep. You just got to wake up. You see, God still wants to win the battle through you. You see, with the story of David and Goliath, God defeated Goliath. But David still had to throw the stone. It's like with Peter. Jesus kept awakening Peter and picking on Peter and going at him and telling him over and over again, you're you're not awake, Peter. You don't know what's going on, Peter. You don't love me like you think you do, Peter. You're not really pursuing me like you think you are, Peter. And he keeps waking him up and waking him up. And yet the reason is because God is going to make this man who kept falling asleep the leader of the church once Jesus moves on. He had an amazing plan and purpose for his life. He had an amazing plan and purpose. And that's why he's like, I need you to wake up because I've got so many wonderful things for you to do. And that's why God wakes us up. I don't know about you this morning, but I think I hear a rooster crowing in the background. And this is so true because it says, even in death, Paul says in Philippians, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so even in the moments where we pray for the miracle and it doesn't come through, it's like you either get to live here or eternal paradise, your choice. In Christ, you always win. I'm going to leave you with one scripture in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. He says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I believe that whatever you are facing this morning, you can beat it in Christ. Christ didn't come so you could stay chained to that sin. Christ didn't come so you could keep losing. Christ didn't come for your failure. Christ came to redeem you. You see, church, the Christian always expects to win because we have faith that even if it doesn't look like the way we thought it would, that God is moving in it. The Christian knows if they truly wake up and walk in the Lord, that they can defeat anything. Let's believe that this morning, church. Let's wake up together. Let's believe we can do great things. Let's believe we can overcome that sin. And let's see together what the Lord does. Let's pray. And God, all of us have showed up in this room today because we know we're not there yet. 
You know, somehow, Lord, an apathy can just slip into our lives that kind of makes us feel like we get it and we're, we're doing everything like we should and yet we still don't know why things aren't working out. God, would you show us the places where we fell asleep? Would you wake us up like you woke up Peter in the garden? Would you be patient with us like you were patient with Peter as we learn this lesson over and over again? And God, would you give us the strength to fight the battles with the weapons that you've given us? That we would not use worry and gossip, burning ourselves out. We wouldn't use things of the world to win our battles, but we'd use things like prayer. Consistent, steadfast, watchful prayer. Would you keep us in your word, Lord, believing your truth? Would you keep us in community around people that can support us in the days that we're weak? God, we love you. I thank you for the wakefulness that you're going to bring in this room as a result of this word. We pray all these things in complete faith in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.